Good morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to the book of First Peter. If you don't have one with you, you can help yourself to one from the rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd love for you to take that as our gift to you. Take it and read it. So First Peter, the first of two letters written by the Apostle Peter, you'll find it just after the big book of Hebrews in the New Testament, then just keep moving past James, and there's First Peter. We're going to start right at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's pray right before we read and hear the word of the Lord. Father, we pause right now to ask you to do what you alone can do, which is to work in our hearts so that we receive your truth as the precious, awesome thing that it is, that we believe it and that we apply it. We pray you would do this for the glory of Jesus, for our good, in his name, amen. So 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So today we're beginning a new series. It's called Resilient Faith, and it comes from this book of First Peter. And if you know what the word resilient means, then you're going to have a good idea of where we're going here. Uh, my copy of Webster's Dictionary defines resilient like this. I thought this was interesting. Capable of withstanding shock without permanent deformation or rupture. In other words, if something's resilient, it means it can take a beating without breaking. So think flexible, think um, bendable, or think Rocky Balboa, <laughs> that boxer who always could come back no matter how badly he got beaten. Or think of the opposite of resilient would be something like brittle or fragile. 
So a bungee cord is resilient because you can stretch it, you can twist it, and you can wad it up and squeeze it, and it's fine. It adjusts, it adapts, okay? Unlike, say, for example, a potato chip. (laughs) If you twist, stretch, or squeeze a potato chip, bye-bye potato chip. You get potato crumbs, okay? So here's the issue we're going to be dealing with in this series. If today you are a believer in Jesus, and I realize some of you may not be, and that's great. I mean, I wouldn't say it's great in the sense that (laughs) I want you to be a believer in Jesus. But what I'm saying is it's okay to be here and not be a believer. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here, and I'm glad you're checking it out. And I'm just hoping and praying that God will lead you to that same place of putting your faith in Jesus, because it really does matter. But if you're here and you are a believer in Jesus, is your faith in him, is it more like a bungee cord or a potato chip? That is, can your trust in Jesus, can it take a beating without breaking? Or is it fragile? And if your faith is more like a potato chip, how can it become more like a bungee cord? All right, now that probably sounds kind of silly, but it's actually very significant. It's very serious because we know both by experience and by what God's word says that in this world, our faith will take a beating, that life in this world will stretch, it will twist, it will squeeze your faith. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And he wasn't exaggerating. In fact, Peter, writing this book, this was a letter. And he wrote this letter to people who were having all kinds of trouble. Let me just point out a few of the places where we see this. In verse 1, he says he's writing to elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, elect means he's writing to fellow believers in Jesus. Elect means chosen. They've put their trust in Christ. They've become part of God's family. But exiles of the dispersion, that expression means that they have been forced from their homes. They've been scattered by some kind of turmoil, probably some kind of persecution. Well, that's hard. That's really hard. Uh, Then down in verse 6, Peter talks about them being grieved by various trials. Hard hard things are grieving them. Well, grief hurts. They're hurting. Then chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly. Suffering unjustly. Chapter 3, verse 9, do not repay evil for evil. Well, when is that instruction relevant? It's only instruction when somebody's doing evil to you and telling you don't repay it. Three seven, uh, no, 314, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. 317, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will 
than for doing evil. And then clearest of all, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Fiery trial. It's not something strange. It's something we should expect. In this world, you will have trouble. Are you glad you came to church today? (laughs) See, what this is telling us is that being a believer in Jesus does not make you immune to suffering. Now, Many of us, I'm sure, would that, that's not a surprise. We would agree with that. We would say we know that, but sometimes I get the sense, at least about myself, and you may be there too, that sometimes we're prone to think like this, that if I really love Jesus, and if I really pray and try my hardest to live the way he wants me to live. Yeah, sure, I'm going to, you know, I mean, there's going to be frustrations and difficulties in life. But if I really love Jesus, if I really trust him, he's going to keep those really terrible things from happening to me. I don't know if you've ever thought like that. I know I have. And it's not true. It's not true. Jesus has not promised that. The reality is, faithful, loving, obedient Christians get cancer. They lose their jobs. Their houses burn up in wildfires. Their kids rebel. They even get murdered by terrorists. And I'm not talking just about, you know, Christians out there somewhere in some, you know, third world undeveloped country that's all chaotic no i'm talking about christians that we know and we love and sometimes it's even us and if we have a faith that expects jesus to do things he has not promised to do that faith is going to be a brittle fragile faith just ready to snap at the next hardship that comes along. And what this book tells us is that God wants something better for us. He wants our faith in him to be resilient. He wants it to be able to take a beating without breaking of resilient faith that brings us joy and gives him glory. So that's what we're going to be seeking to discover as we work through this book, because it has a lot to say about these things. And the first thing I want to point out as we get started is that in order for faith to be resilient, in order for faith to be resilient, it has to be real. For faith to be resilient, it has to be real. Now, let me explain something here, okay? Because I want to tell you what I don't mainly mean by that. What I don't mainly mean when I say faith has to be real is that faith be genuine, that it be authentic for us personally. Now, certainly it does mean that. 
Okay, because by fake faith or non-genuine, inauthentic faith, I'm talking about, you know, well, I just, you know, I go to church because I've always gone to church and my friends are Christians, I kind of hang around with them. But, you know, faith is not real for me personally. Fake faith, okay? Yes, faith has to be genuine, but that's not what I mean. When I say faith has to be real, what I mean is this. It has to be based on reality. It has to be based on reality. It has to be built on what is real, not on wishful thinking. Because wishful thinking will not get you through the tough times. We need faith that is based on rock-solid reality. And folks, that is exactly what the good news of Jesus Christ offers us. The good news of Jesus is built on rock-solid reality that we can believe in and we can build our lives on. Now, I understand that many people would scoff at what I just said, okay? Because it's been very, become very hip in our culture, it's very cool these days not to believe in God. And there are lots of best-selling books out there. There are lots of articles on the Internet that will say that uh, there is absolutely no factual basis for believing in God. There's no factual basis particularly for believing in the God of the Bible and uh, Christianity. And so Christians, you know, might be some nice people among them, but they're pretty silly uh, because they believe in spite of the evidence. Uh, faith in The God of the Bible is simply wishful thinking. Meanwhile, atheism is portrayed as very smart, very rational, and uh, supported by all kinds of very good evidence. Now, I want to be clear that I mean no disrespect to anybody who believes something other than what I believe, okay? But that particular description of Christianity as simply wishful thinking and atheism is built solely on facts and evidence, that description does not hold up. That is not accurate. Okay, in fact, there are many good reasons for believing in the God of the Bible, and one of them is right here in our passage. One of the most important, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical reason for believing in the gospel, having faith in Jesus Christ. The Christian message is not based on wishful thinking. Because none of the people who wrote the historical documents that we have about Jesus and his message, none of those people who knew Jesus personally ever said anything like, hey, just believe what we're telling you. You just got to believe the message. You know, yeah, I realize it sounds kind of crazy. Sure, it's, it's a little hard to believe and all that. But look, you don't need reasons, just believe. They never said things like that. Instead, what they consistently said was, believe in Jesus because we heard what he said. We saw what he did. And most importantly of all, we saw him put to death, 
And three days later, we saw him alive and victorious over death. That's a reason. Those are reasons. The resurrection is a reason. It's something that happened, confirmed by dozens, even hundreds of eyewitnesses. It's, it's as well established as a historical fact as anything can be from you know, ancient history. In fact, it's better established. The documents we have and the authenticity of them are well established. Now, the typical skeptical response to that would be to say, no, 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 that's not true because resurrection's a miracle and we know that miracles can't happen. But what you've got to understand is that's a philosophical objection, not a logical objection. What I mean by that is by saying it's philosophical, I'm saying it's built on unprovable beliefs. If, if the God of the Bible exists, and that can neither be proven nor disproven by science, because science deals with observation of nature and how nature works, observable processes, well, God, by definition, if he exists, is supernatural, he's beyond nature, you can't prove or disprove his existence by science. But if he exists, then logically, miracles are possible. Now, that doesn't mean every claim miracle is one, but it means they're possible. And so to say, no, miracles can't happen, that is, that is a belief built on unprovable beliefs. Okay. Now, if, if this is intriguing to you and you want to explore the subject further, I would highly recommend a book to you called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Tim Keller, The Reason for God, because he does a great job of of explaining why faith in Jesus Christ is rational, reasonable, and right. Now, my goal this morning is not to show you that, okay? My goal this morning is not to show you that the evidence for the resurrection is, is compelling, I, I think it is. I think there's a convincing case for it. But there are good books like Keller's who do, do an excellent job of that. That's not my goal. What my goal is, is to show you that a resilient faith is built on rock-solid reality, and the resurrection is that reality. Peter says in verse 3 that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we are born again to a living hope. Now, we really have to get this. We have to get this because it's a living hope that makes our faith resilient. Okay? It's a living hope that makes our faith resilient. Now, let's, let's talk about that. What, what's a living hope? Well, what's hope at all? All right, in general terms, hope is an expectation of something coming, something future. It's the anticipation or the expectation that you have good ahead of you. That's what people mean when they have hope. I have hope that something good is coming. Something good's coming my way. It's it's a confidence that your future is good. Now, in the Bible, hope means that if you have been born into God's family by becoming connected to Jesus by faith, then you can have confidence that your future is amazing, completely amazing. That's hope. And why is it a living hope? 
Well, because it's real. It's a living hope. It's not dead. It's alive. It's, it's solid. It's certain because it's based on something real, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me try to explain this a little better with an example uh, that's kind of an opposite example. Okay, an example of a dead hope. Right? This afternoon, I am planning to head out for a couple of days to meet up with my old buddy Paul, and uh, we're going to go fishing for a few days. Now, I've known Paul since I was 18, and over the years, we have gotten together many times and gone fishing. We always enjoy our time together. We're good friends. We have a great time, even though we almost never catch any fish. <laughs> and I mean never. So we, we jokingly refer to, hey, let's get together and not catch fish. <laughs> I don't know why we keep trying, but we do. So if you were to ask me, do you hope to catch fish? I would say, sure, I hope to catch fish. <laughs> but it's not a living hope. <laughs> it's not a living hope. I really don't have any confidence whatsoever that we will actually catch fish because my faith, my hope is not built on anything certain. I have no certainty. Now, if Jesus, who rose from the dead, had said in his word on September 20th, 2015, Scott Roberson will catch fish. If he had said that, then yes, I would have certainty. I would have a living hope. But he didn't, so I don't. Okay? <laughs> now, here's how hope connects to faith and having a resilient faith. Okay? because I don't have a living hope that I'm going to catch fish, my faith in fishing is very fragile. Very fragile. What I mean is, if we don't catch fish in the first couple hours, or if it starts raining hard, or it gets really hot, or the river is really treacherous for wading... Or I get cold, or I, you know, I get hungry. I'm done. <laughs> I'm just done. I am not going, you know, I'm not going to fish for hours and hours and hours because I quote have faith in fishing, because I don't. The slightest adversity comes my way, my faith in fishing snaps like a potato chip. It just does, and I'm ready to go get a burger. Okay. <laughs> When you don't have a living hope, your faith is not resilient. But this is so different. This is so different because Jesus really rose from the dead. You and I can have a living hope. You and I can have confidence. We can be certain of many things that will give resilience to our faith. And Peter lists them here. And I want to look at them. Now, I can only mention them and briefly describe them, but I encourage you to write them down and then take time to think about them and savor them if you are a believer in Christ because 
the more aware you are of these certain things that are certain because Jesus rose from the dead, the more aware you are of these, the more you, you think about them, then the more resilient your faith can be. If you know that Jesus rose from the dead, you can be confident that these things are true for you if you trust him. Here we go. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can be confident that, first of all, that God is real and God is good. You can be confident that God is real and he's good. I want to point something out about how this book starts. You'll notice it does not start by telling us to do anything. There's not one single instruction about something to do in this book, and that is massively important. Okay, many people have the misconception that that's what the Bible is. Oh, the Bible, you know, it's a big book of rules. It's a big book of rules of things we're supposed to do. Well, that's not accurate. Yeah, there's rules there, but the main thing the Bible does is not tell us what to do. It tells us the amazing things God has done. And the amazing things God has promised to do for those who trust him. That's very important because what that means is our confidence for a good future is not based on what we do. It's based on what God has done and what God is going to do. That's huge. And when Peter considers all these amazing things that God has done, his heart overflows. And he exclaims, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? That's worship. That's praise. Why? What, why is he doing that? Because he is convinced that God is real. And he is convinced that God is good. Well, what convinced him? What convinced him that God's real? What convinced him that God is good? Well, probably many things. But the thing he mentions, the clincher, is Jesus Christ dying to give us life and rising victorious over death. And see, Jesus rising from the dead proved that everything he said and did was true. Jesus' death and resurrection proves many things. It proves that God is real. It proves he's powerful. It proves that he's holy. You realize that? It proves that God's holy. Because what it means is that, that sin really is an issue. Jesus died. Because if he hadn't died for us, we could not have connection with a holy God. And it proves that God is merciful. You see that? He mentions it. It was a display of God's great mercy according to his great mercy. Do you know what that means? It means God does not want to condemn you. God does not want to ruin your life. God does not want to destroy you. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to give you everlasting joy. Why? Why does he want to do that? Because he's good. See, don't misunderstand. Don't think God wants to do good things to you because you're good. It's not because we're good. It's because he's good. And you need to know that. You need to know that because you are going to be tempted to doubt it when hard times come. 
because you're going to be suffering through some hardship of some kind, and you're going to look at it, and you're going to say, this makes no sense to me. I see no purpose in this. I do not understand this, and you're going to be tempted to doubt that God's good. And it's the resurrection of Christ. You need that rock-solid foundation to be confident that God is good, that he's always got your good at heart. The resurrection is the foundation for that belief, for that hope. Okay? Second, because Jesus rose from the dead, you can be confident that you really do belong to God's family. If you come to the place where you, like we all need to do, admit that you deserve God's judgment, and you put your trust in Christ, who died for you as your only hope, your only remedy for your sin, then the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that you really are a member of God's family. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of how tough things get. If you're trusting in Jesus alone to make you right with God, then the resurrection is the guarantee that you really have moved from being, you know, an outsider opposed to God to being born again, it says, meaning born into his family, a new identity, child of God. The resurrection makes that certain. Third, because Jesus rose from the dead, you can be confident that you will not miss out. Have you heard of FOMO? F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. It's, it's kind of a big deal in our culture these days. Fear of missing out. It grips many of us. And the idea is, you know, well, if you're single, you don't really, you're not sure you want to get married because if you get married, you know, you might miss out on something fun you could have done if you were single or you get married and you might marry the wrong person. Someone else comes along and you're going to miss out. Or, you know, if you don't get married, you're going to miss out. Or if you take this job, you might miss out on a better job when it comes along. I mean, you don't even want to order off the menu, because if you order that, then you might miss out on that. You laugh, but it's huge. It's a big problem. Fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out. I want to perpetually keep all my options open, which means you'll miss out. Well, here's the thing. If you belong to Jesus, then his resurrection makes it certain that you will never miss out on anything that really matters. Okay, you see this talk in verse 4 about God giving us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, meaning no one can mess it up, and unfading. All this is saying is that no one, nothing can ever take God's inheritance away from you. That everything good God intends to give you, he will give you. Nothing can stop him. He will not let you miss out. Fourth, because Jesus rose from the dead, you can be confident that your hardships have a good purpose. Your hardships have a good purpose. Verse 6, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God has a purpose. He has a purpose for trials, even when we don't understand them. And it's to deepen our confidence in Jesus and our love for him so that when we see him face to face finally, there is a deeper joy. Now that's very hard to remember when you're hurting. But if you will remember that Jesus rose from the dead, then you can be confident that God's intentions for you are good. 
in your hardships. And lastly, number five, you can be confident because Jesus rose from the dead that any suffering you experience will be worth it. It will be worth it. Someday. Because Jesus will make it worth it when you see him. It says praise and honor and glory when Jesus is revealed. I don't even know what all, the, what all is meant by those words, but I know that when Peter thought about it, and when the people he wrote to thought about it, it says they rejoiced with joy that is, look at it, inexpressible. A joy so great and so deep, it, it couldn't even describe it with words. That's what they were anticipating. The thought of seeing Jesus face to face gave them joy even in the midst of their hardships and their suffering because they knew their suffering would be worth it then. That's one of the things the book's going to emphasize to us is that's where we have to ultimately fix our living hope. Not necessarily that things are going to get awesome tomorrow or next week. But you can know that. You, know you're, you can know any suffering you experience will be worth it. And the resurrection of Jesus is the rock-solid reality that gives that hope certainty and makes it alive. It's as certain as anything can be. And when your hope is built on that rock-solid reality, more like a bungee cord, less like a potato chip. That's easy to say. We're going to need God to work these truths deep into us so that it becomes a reality for us. Let's pray together. If you're here and you are not yet a believer in Jesus, I just want to challenge you to examine what you are putting your hope in And just say, don't rely on wishful thinking. Because I know there are people who think, well, I'm a good person, so I'm okay. Or they say, well, you know, I don't think, I don't really believe in judgment. I don't believe in judgment day. I don't believe in hell. Or, you know, I, I, I don't know if anybody would say this, but they might think it. I'm just, you know, I'm just fine. I'm just going to live forever. Those things are not true. We need a hope that is living. We need a hope that is based on something real. And if today you sense God tugging on your heart and saying, put your trust in Jesus who died for your sin and rose from the dead to give you a living hope, I would encourage you to do that today. Just admit you're not good enough You can't make yourself good enough and receive the free gift that Jesus will give you if you will trust him. And if today your faith feels pretty uh, potato chip-like, pretty brittle, I know exactly how that feels because I've been there many, many times. Savor these truths. Read them over. Look at what is true of your living hope because Jesus really rose from the dead and ask God to build that resilience into you. Father,
I just come on behalf of all of us today and say we need you so much. We need you to help us discern what is true, what is real, what is reliable, and we need our faith to be built on that living hope. God, give us resilience for your glory and for our joy. Thank you for being so gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen.